Fintech Chatter. Brought to you by Tier 1 People, leaders in Fintech Executive Search. Hi, it's Dexter here, and I've got a different format of show for you today. This episode was recorded live in front of 200 people at National Australia Bank's Outside In Conference. The whole event was geared towards owning the product with a really impressive list of guest speakers across innovation, including good friend of the show, Alex Badron from Spriggy. Thanks to Chris, Tristan, Liz, and the NAB team for inviting me along to record a special podcast episode at the event. In this show, I talked to Digital Leader of the Year, Stevian DeVico, and Simon Terry of Highcaps on how product owners in large banks can adopt a startup mindset and begin to innovate. This is your first time listening. Make sure to give us a follow and leave a review. It really helps other fintech fans like you find the show. Wow, what a privilege this is um, to be in a room of 200 potential CEOs and future founders. And I say that with a lot of authenticity because product for me is the best breeding ground for anybody who wants to lead a business or start a business. So it's an absolute privilege to be with you here today and to record um, an episode of FinTech Chatter in front of such a big live audience. So I'm extremely nervous, even though I've done about 250 shows now. I'm joined by two really cool guests, Stevie Ann DeVico and Simon Terry from Lantern Pay. Hi, Dexter. It's great to be here. Um, and I would add, Lantern Pay is now high caps. So we're doing both. Great. And I guess what we're, we're here to talk about is, um, first of all, I guess the differences between what you might find in a product area in a, a fintech startup and how that might look in a bank or a large organization. But also want to dispel, I think, a lot of myths that people have about startups and some of the perceived magic. Um, and, and to kind of bring to life to you exactly what it's like, and Simon as well, and, and Stevie-Ann, to, to really help bridge that gap. And I guess give you some confidence moving forward that you really do have a, a fantastic opportunity in this type of role to really make a difference. And I think Kate earlier talked about this 1% and the opportunity to make a 1% difference. And I think in a product role, there, there's no better opportunity to do that in a business. Um, but maybe before we, we start that, Stevie-Ann, if you could share with the audience a little bit about yourself and your role here at NAB. Sure. Um, so I'm Stevie. Uh, Stevie Andavico, I'm the executive for digital technology. So um, I have all the channels is probably the easiest way to explain it. So internet banking, mobile, NAB Connect, NAB One, the public site, the chatbots, that's a swap heads, um, the like AEM, the content, all of that kind of stuff. And for customer and colleagues. So yeah, that's me. Great. And Simon, yourself? Uh, yeah, Simon Terry. I'm the executive for Highcaps, which includes the Lantern Pay business we acquired in April this year. So Highcaps is Australia's leading health claiming business, and we're transforming that 
to be the leading health, disability and care uh, claiming business in Australia? Simon, I wanted to um, ask this first question of you because given the experience and the exposure with London Pay and High Caps, you're probably perfectly positioned to see the differences between product ownership in a startup and product ownership in a larger organization. What would you say are the distinct differences that you've observed? I think at the heart of it, you know, product ownership is product ownership. I mean, the, the, the core of what product owners in both organisations are trying to do is deeply understand customer needs, drive increments of value, you know, really push the envelope in terms of commercial outcomes. Um, I think in the startup environment, that edge of commercial outcome is in your face. Um, quite literally, uh, you know, you've got founders, you've got an environment where, you know, survival is on the line mm. um, for the organisation. I, I would say the competitive landscape we're in as a large Australian financial services organisation, certainly the competitive landscape we see in the health claiming space is it may be a little bit hidden from you, but there's still that sharp commercial edge Competitors are coming for us every day. The pressure is on to innovate and to keep satisfying customers in new ways. So I think if you kind of come back to the core of it, it's quite similar. There's some different ways it gets expressed. And obviously a larger organisation means more coordination, collaboration, more processes, more systems, more policies. A lot more to navigate, but, but it, on the flip side, scale is what every startup craves. Yeah. And this organisation has scale in droves. So the ability to, in our context, you know, at Lantern Pay, could I tap into 400 NAB health bankers? No. At High Caps, can I build a new product and work together with my colleagues in NAB Health to take it out and bring 400 bankers around Australia who already have relationships with our target customers? It's a startup's dream mm. to have that kind of opportunity and that scale. Yeah. Now, what, one of the advantages I, I always feel that a startup has is that very thing, that fear and uncertainty. And I, I think the question I've been asked most by any banking exec over the last seven, eight years has been, hey, Dexter, how do we recreate this no fear of failure like we see in fintech startups? And yet, you know, in a fintech startup, every day you go to work thinking, am I going to get paid this month? Are we going to raise enough capital? Are we actually going to get a product out? How are we going to get customers? How are we going to afford a Google Ads campaign? Stevie Ann, my question to you is, you know, what do you kind of think should be the, the, the right kind of fear that, you know, people within this environment need to have to kind of help them drive and innovate? And is fear the right word or is there something else perhaps we should be looking towards? I think there's, there's no real lack of fear in, in either side of things. It's, it's the stakes that are a little bit different. So like as yeah. you mentioned with fintechs, it's, it's literally about do we have a business or not kind of level of fear. I don't think, um, you know, in a, in a banking context or a large commercial context, you don't have a a, a fear of failure. I, I think inevitably we're wired as humans to mm. feel um, the fear of failure and people are, you know, the, the, the failure point is like linked to someone's inherent like 
ego and feelings of yeah. self-worth and all of that kind of stuff, which is like very high, like it's another high level of stakes. Will they get paid if they fail? Absolutely, in a large corporate. You know, are they worried they won't have a job? Probably not. Um, I think in order to kind of channel that fear into um, an environment where we can encourage innovation and creativity and whatever, it's 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 less about what is the the consequences. Really trying to um, encourage people to actually um, experiment and experiment at a level of tolerance where we go, okay, just like even if you fail, if you're not right, like let's shift the narrative, just give something a go. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Take the learnings and move on, mm. but do it small. Mm. Like I think we tend to as banks really have these giant ideas because we've got so many people and um, then we fail really big and then people feel really bad about that and they don't want to try again. Like let's just like do that a little bit smaller and it won't yeah. matter. Um, one, you know, building on that, I think one of the things that is is probably more powerful than fear is the opportunity. So if you sit in that startup environment, you you know the opportunity cost of not realising this customer conversation about not delivering this product and hitting its outcomes, and that opportunity cost is on you all the time. And that same opportunity is here in this organisation. And I think that's where you can get a really constructive conversation going, particularly with product owners, to say, are we clear on the business outcomes and why this is urgent for us to deliver this now? Because every day we miss that opportunity doesn't come again. You know, how do we, how do we leverage today's opportunity to really go after the things that matter to our customers, matter to the organisation and so on? Anthony had um, mentioned this in the previous, um, uh, I guess, uh, discussion, which we, we often talk in product about the customer being the external customer, but there's also internal customers that you have to navigate as well. And one of the, I guess, common threads that I've found with a founder of a 10-person startup and an AGM at a bank has been, you know, this, again, this fear of, you know, is what we're building today even relevant? How do you navigate that um, you know, kind of fear within your stakeholders and, and the people that you, know, you, you have to influence here at, at National Australia Bank? How do we navigate that? I think I, I don't think you can. Like I think you're, you should. Like it's a very healthy question to ask. Like is this relevant? I think the problem is we. And it's not like bank or startup specific. It's um, sometimes we fall in love with the solution as opposed to falling in love with the problem. Yeah. And that's a really profound thing to just have a think about. Um, because if you anchor, anchor to a solution, like you just keep pushing something that, that could probably be wrong. Whereas if you keep focusing on the problem and you get really, really close to the customer and you understand, you keep asking why and why, and you really get to the crux of what is the problem I'm trying to solve, come up with really broad range of solutions, go back to the customer, test that, and kind of iterate that along the line, you, you probably have a better, out, a better chance of building something relevant and, and needed, like desirable and feasible and viable than if you just stick to you know, the solution that you yeah. think is the right one. One of the really fascinating things about what you've just shared there is if I look over the last five years, 
that's actually been a real problem in fintech startups as they look to scale. What's been your experience, Simon, and, and what do you think you, you have to do as a product owner to get beyond the ego? Look, I think it's it's always tempting because you know we've all got ego, we've got status, we get passionate about what we're doing. Um, there's a concept which I love from Zen Buddhism, which is the beginner's mind. And it, you know the the idea is you just sit with the problem and you you don't bring your ego into the front of it. And I think if you can hold things lightly, um, you know, extraordinary things happen. I, I can remember a number of conversations over the last five years where we went into a meeting with a potential customer thinking we've solved every aspect of their problem. We'd, we'd had all the preparatory sessions, we'd done all the work, we'd designed all the solutions and we sat in that meeting with the customer and, in fact, you know, the salesperson was aggressively selling the solution I'm we already had. because I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and, experience and, is very and what the customer <laughs> was politely trying to tell us really politely, was that we'd missed a critical point in their experience. And and we may not have, and we were talking that away. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, but we're better, we're new, we're digital. Like, you can move past that point. And when we actually sat back and listened to that point the customer was making, the product vision changed, the solution changed, and all of a sudden you go from that, we've all been in that moment where the customer's got their hands crossed across their chest and they're leaning backwards in the chair and their nose is going up in the air and they're like, yet again, another group of people who are just coming to tell me that their solution is the solution. And the minute we stopped and actually listened to what they were saying and asked the, you know, the, the five wise questions underneath, why is that the issue that really matters to you, they're leaning forward in the chair and they're up at the whiteboard and they're drawing solutions for us. And I think that's the difference in kind of this shift from I'm the expert, I know the answer, to the answer is going to be created in this conversation between our two organisations. Mm. Um, we just had a very quick chat with Alex Badman from Spriggy, who if you get the chance, definitely watch Alex. Um, for me, it's the greatest example I've ever seen of product ownership and lean startup methodology and all of the things that we've discussed so far today. Um, but what's also really impressed me about National Australia Bank, Stevian, is the emphasis that they've had on collaboration and investment with fintechs. So 86400 acquisition, investment in Spriggy, and a lot of other you know, businesses that I've got a healthy respect for. What, from your side, what is the challenge of actually collaborating with fintech startups and kind of integrating them into the ways of the bank and that structure and rigor and you know all of the challenges that you've got and the you know the um, you know, regulation and compliance and all of those things. Yeah, so I've had um, the privilege, I'll call it, of um, kind of being part of this across two banks. Um, and, and it really at the like foundational level, my previous role, um, setting up kind of a capital fund to invest. Um, and it's really awesome. It's such good experience. Like if anyone can get like an opportunity to do it, you should, because it really gets you to see two very different business models or operations kind of colliding together. Um, the biggest challenge 
um, in, in the early stages was um, actually just we've got a lot of, like, we're a bank. We, as you mentioned, we have a lot of regulation and a lot of policies and a lot of processes because we, like, we have a different risk profile. Um, and we actually, uh, when I ran one of the innovation teams um, in my previous role, we um, mapped out from the time there was kind of the pitch all the way to the time where the deal was sealed, how long it took us to integrate a startup and it was like nine to 12 months. And like, if you're at early stage startup, you don't have nine to 12 months to wait for your first injection of capital, right? It's yeah. just that the, the, the time frames around speed are really, really different. Um, you also have quite unequal weights in like, we've got huge legal teams, like thousands of people like and massive finance teams. You just don't have that luxury. Like, so it's kind of, it's hard to navigate yeah. that. Actually, we solved that by just offering the startups that we wanted, like legal advice from our own legal teams previously. Like, there's ways to solve it, but it's very, very complex. And the, the, the challenge that I gave my team back then was, like, I want it done in 60 days. How do we cut all of this out so that we get it done in 60 days? And that just, like, that meant, like, taking bets that we didn't usually yeah. take. But you have to, like, that's yeah. that's like you, you're not going to you can't exploit an opportunity like not exploit in a bad way but like really take advantage of the opportunity you have to work with someone that works differently um and will really help you create capabilities you probably like wouldn't be able to do um you could maybe technically but um you know it's that outsiding perspective is invaluable because mm. you spend too much time in one place you start to drink the Kool-Aid, yeah. it's always important to have that natural tension of outside in. And the faster you get that done, the more successful you're going to be. Fantastic. Now, Simon, one of the things that's frustrated me has been, um, I think, the perception of, of that memes are reality. And one of the famous ones, Facebook, you know, move fast and break things. If you do that in fintech, you go to jail, right? So you kind of, it's not a mantra that you really want to employ. Right? Um, what, what are some of the, I guess, attributes that you see that product owners need, whether they're working in a large environment like this or they're working in a, a fintech startup that are kind of ubiquitous to being successful in the role? Yeah, look, I think, um, first of all, it starts with, you know, market understanding. You know, the, the, a great product owners understand their domain, they understand what customers are thinking, they have a depth of expertise and relationships. So it's not paper-based learning is really different to actually being in conversation with people who are working in that domain. You know, a little bit of market intelligence goes a long way. Um, backing that up with commercial acumen, so having the ability to kind of sift out of that, not just where the product opportunities are, but which are the product opportunities that translate to revenue, translate to customer decisions that are really going to drive your business, being able to pull the levers out of your business out and translate them into customer actions. Because if great product owners can connect the levers of the business with customer actions and all of a sudden, you know, amazing things start mm -hmm. to happen and happen fast as well. You know, for me, then probably the next biggest role is the facilitator role that product owners play. They sit at a crucial juncture in the organisation. 
between distribution, growth, sales, whatever you call that in your organisation, um, you know, development, operations. Product owners have to hold that space. They have to be able to work with a squad and facilitate that squad. That's a massive people coordination, collaboration, facilitation role. And again, I kind of come back to your ego and your expertise gets in the way of that role if you come from a really high expertise focus. Mm. So kind of I start with those kinds of capabilities. I think if you land those, there's other things like project management and other things which will flow out. But if you land those kind of core capabilities, what you're actually doing as a product owner is allowing the rest of the squad and the organisation to make you look good. Because at the end of the day, the people in this room don't want to do all the work because some of it you can't do. So how do you get the rest of the organisation coming at you, helping you look good, helping you push the envelope to the next level? That's the kind of, mm. that's where I see the best product owners I've ever worked with do that just in spades. Yeah. And it's almost as if they're not the people that, that people are celebrating because it's happening around them. Mm. Um, going back to memes is the one that really gets me as a, mm -hmm. a human resources professional, which is the Simon Sinek, you know, you don't hire skills, you hire character. Well, I think you have to hire a lot more than just one thing. When it, when it comes to you assessing people, Stevie Ann, what are the attributes that you look for and, and what are the skills that you think, hey, well, that's mission critical and, you know, other things I can do without? So... Probably number one is growth mindset. You can't get that. I'm okay with failure. Uh, like I'm okay that that this didn't work because you know we're gonna learn and we can. How do we change? Turn this into an opportunity. Like that's a super important skill. Um, not just in product ownership, actually everywhere. Like I look for growth mindset in engineers, um, in developers, in project managers, in all skill sets because it's universally important. Um, like alongside that and complementaries, like the ability to really work and influence with people, especially in a big organisation, chances are you won't control all of the resources. And in the example you talked about, there's tonnes of people that are part of getting a solution to market. You need someone that is really comfortable in their own skill set and what they bring to the table, but also is like really good at working and drawing out the natural skills of the other experts to create a whole piece. They're like number one and two things. Yes, I want to hire people that have great ideas and are innovative and are energetic and whatever, but it's also like a bit of a balance. Yeah. You can't have everyone the same. Diversity is super, super important. It's not just a rhetoric. It's really yeah. important to have that. It's uh, interesting you mentioned growth mindset because uh, the next generation, I can tell you, already are adopting that. My 11-year-old daughter, so I was trying to give her a pep talk just the other day, said, Dad, you're talking about growth mindset. I already know all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the competition is, is fierce. That's um, like she, she needs a job. Like, oh, yeah. She's, uh, many she's already pitched herself for working on the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah she's going to be doing socials when she's uh, 14. <laughs> so Simon, I guess, look, if you were kind of look, looking at one you know, attribute, one thing that somebody has to have when it comes to making it 
in this space, and particularly in a you know startup environment where there's literally nowhere to hide, what would you say that that one thing is? Oh, I mean, I'm a bit with uh, Stevie Ann here. It's really hard to distill it down, but um, the thing that I think actually applies across both environments and is commercial risk management. So it takes different forms in each environment, but being able to, you know, to, to, to go into an environment and say we're prepared that this product we're bringing to market might fail, you have to know how much you're prepared to put against that, how much of your organisation you're putting on the line when you make that call. And so bringing to the forefront that kind of day-in, day-out risk-reward balance and really driving that um, and driving that in conversation with customers and the rest of the organisation, that's a really powerful piece for me and it's it's something that I think you, you, it's also one where it's a mastery question. There is no end point where you go, yeah, I've nailed every aspect of this, I'm done. Mm. You are coming to work every day and kind of going, how can I, like, can I get more out of risk reward today? Is there a better setting? And I think it's really important because we as large financial organisations sometimes think of the fintech end of the spectrum as kind of the cowboys. You know, they don't have the regulation, they don't have the policy, they don't have the processes perhaps, but actually what they have is a really finely tuned commercial risk management culture that drives down to every person and every action. And that is something that big banks can leverage and learn from and really take forward. Well, Simon, Stevian, it's been great to chat with you today. I could have sat here literally for another two, three hours and had this discussion. I think we've only just scratched the surface, really. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening today. You can follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn as Dexter Cousins. And please give us a subscribe and a follow if you like what you heard today. Um, we've got another 250 plus uh, interviews with founders and fintech leaders like Stevie Ann and Simon. Thank you. Fintech Chatter is presented by Tier 1 People, leaders in fintech executive search. We'll help you find world-class talent to build world-class fintech ventures. And you can find us at tier1people.com. Thank you.